You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. holding you back? What's in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus completely? The work of redemption is done. It's complete. It's finished. It was done on the cross. As I said, it's so simple a child can do it. In fact, we're supposed to come with childlike faith. We're supposed to come like a child and believe. But it's so complex that even the wisest of men cannot fully comprehend the length the depth and the height of God's love. Maybe you've had the opportunity and invitation to become a Christian in your past, but you denied God. The world has you chained to its desires, and you may believe you're free, but that's not the case. Today, Pastor Dave will share in depth how Jesus died and rose again so we can follow him in freedom. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19 as he begins his message, The Ultimate Battle Cry. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, we're specifically looking at verses 28 through 30. Been an incredible time going through this chapter, and uh, we still have a little ways to go. If you found your way to the chapter and verses, let me read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please. Gospel of John 19, beginning in verse 28. After this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. So as we come into our text this morning, Jesus has been hanging now on the cross for nearly six hours. The end is very near. We studied that he has spoken words of forgiveness, asking the Father to forgive those who actually put him on that cross, to forgive those who had abused him. He's spoken words of salvation to the thief on the cross next to him. Assuring the thief that today he would be with Jesus in paradise. As he spoke tender words of affection to his dear mother. And left her in the care of his most beloved disciple, John. As we move on during this time on the cross. For some reason, John doesn't make mention of the next thing that Jesus said on the cross. And I think it's a very, very important thing that we look at. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, they're recorded Jesus' fourth statement of the cross, Ele, Ele, Lama, Sebastian, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus quoting from Psalm 22. 
This, perhaps, is the darkest statement in the Bible. It's perhaps the darkest statement of all history. The very moment that Jesus was dreading as he was praying in the garden. The moment that he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. The moment that the sin of the world, that the depravity of man fell upon him bodily. I can imagine the pain that he felt. I can imagine the pain that he felt at this moment. He who knew no sin actually became sin. And it was at this time that the father had to look away. That the father had to look away. This was the bitterness, the cup that Jesus didn't want to happen. He knew what was going to happen and he didn't want this to happen. This was the first time that he was now alone. He had never spent a moment outside the conscious presence of his dear father. And now the presence of the father had seemed so far away. Remember in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in there from the beginning. They had never been disconnected. They had never left each other. And now because of the vast sin that fell upon him, God could not look upon him. This is the awful consequences of sin. Separation from God. This is what sin does to our life. It separates us from God. On the other hand, imagine the intense pain that God the Father felt. Imagine the, tense, the intense pain that God the Father felt watching his beloved son hanging on that cross, hearing him cry out to him and not attending to him. Imagine the pain that went through his heart. We can't imagine his sacrifice at that moment. Watching his beloved son doing his will. In that moment, Jesus took upon himself all the filth, all the corruption, all the horribleness in this world. And the father broke perfect communion with his son and turned away. Jesus was forsaken by God at that moment. So you don't have to be. Jesus was forsaken by God for that time. So we can enjoy his presence forever. And Jesus was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Jesus entered into that darkness so that we can walk in that light. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for the entire world. Must have been a horrible, horrible time for him. A time of great woe. No wonder he sweat droplets of water and blood in the garden, knowing what was going to happen. It must have been profoundly sad. But as we come into today's verses, we move on now. And we see that everything has been accomplished. Let's look at 28a. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Jesus' entire life and entire ministry pointed to this day. A predetermined time, a predetermined day that was determined by God the Father before the foundations of the world, it all boiled down to this time. Jesus now knew that the great work that he was sent to do 
the great work that the father had called upon him to do had been completed. He had accomplished the work that the father had sent him to do. Remember when he prayed in John 17, just a couple chapters ago? When he prayed in verse 4, he said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus knew the work was done. It was complete. Remember, he told the disciples, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the will of the Father. I didn't come on my own behalf. I came on his behalf. I represent him. This was the Father's will. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he took the punishment upon himself that I deserve, that you deserve. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly the results of what he was doing. And when he accomplished all things, when everything was done, when everything was complete, then he thought of himself. But until that time, he hadn't thought about himself. He thought about everybody else. He thought about the world. Forgive them. He thought about the criminal next to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He thought about his mother. He took the sin of the world upon himself. And then, and then at that time, he says, I thirst. I thirst. Look at verse 28b. I'll read the whole verse. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Even in his darkest hour, even in his extreme pain that he was experiencing, he continued to fulfill scripture. He continued to fulfill those things that were spoken about him. With one word, with one word, Jesus could have commanded cascades of water to fall from heaven. He could have commanded cascades of water to come down upon them standing there. But instead, he asked. Jesus never used a miracle for himself. Jesus never used a miracle for his benefit. It was always to benefit someone else and to give God glory. He never thought of himself. Surprisingly, they honored his request. Surprisingly, they honored his request. Look at verse 29. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. It's interesting. They did this so that scripture could be fulfilled. You can look at Psalm 69, verse 21. Psalm 69, verse 21. says, and, he also, and they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 21. Notice one thing that's peculiar about this verse that struck me. What did they dip, what did they use to dip into the wine, a sponge? And what did they put the sponge on? Hyssop. It's important because in Exodus, during the Passover, when they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they spread it with hyssop. They spread it with hyssop. Hyssop is a plant of some sort, a plant like a bush or something like that. They spread it with hyssop. And you can find that in Exodus 12, 22. Now, do not confuse this drink that Jesus is now taking to the one that was mentioned in Luke 27, 34. 
In Luke 27:34, it was a mixture of vinegar and myrrh. Why? It was a numbing thing, and they offered it to Jesus to drink, and he refused to drink it. It was used to numb the victim's pain. When Jesus tasted it, he said, I don't want it. He didn't want any drug to even begin to deaden the pain that he was going to feel. He wanted no drug or alcohol to climb his, cloud his mind to the task which was at hand. He was determined to be in full control and to be as conscious as possible to the very end. This should not surprise us. Everything, like I said, everything Jesus did was for our benefit and God's glory. And even in his extreme suffering, it's a strong reminder of his ability and willingness to sympathize with your needs. Talk a little bit about that later. It was Jesus who willingly bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was the man of sorrows that Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 53. He was that man. This is what Guzik says about this, quote, We can connect all things that are now accomplished with the words, I thirst. When Jesus said, I thirst, the worst was over. The price had been paid, and he was ready to announce it. When the sinner says, I thirst, the worst is over, because if they bring their thirsty soul to Jesus, he satisfies them, unquote. If anyone comes and drinks of me, if anybody be thirsty, let him come. And now we come to the verse that I call the ultimate battle cry. I believe it's the most powerful verse in the Bible. I believe it's the most powerful verse in the Bible. What is a battle cry? A battle cry is simply a word or a phrase that is used by soldiers going into battle that expresses solidarity and to intimidate the enemy. Battle cries are meant to stir up the hearts of the soldiers, to inspire them, to remind them what they're fighting for, their homes, their families, their freedom, their people, and their glory. And I searched all through, all through various places to look for various battle cries. And there's some that stand out to me. You remember the Alamo if you're a Texan. If you were alive during World War II, you remember Pearl Harbor. You might even remember what the Japanese said when they were bombing Pearl Harbor. Torah, Torah, Torah. You might remember that. And who could forget September 11th, 2001, when Tom Bieber said, let's roll. It's a battle cry. Let's roll. The words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago or more as he hung on that cruel Roman cross became the greatest and most far-reaching battle cry ever heard. And I believe in all my heart that they are just as great today and just as far-reaching. Let's look at verse 30a. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. I love what this commentator wrote, quote, These words not only rang in the ears of those who stood close to the cross, but also throughout the kingdom of both heaven and hell. In the presence of the Father, the words, It is finished, were a victory cry as the new covenant and relationship with God was made possible through what Jesus had accomplished on the cross, unquote. Very interesting here. Very interesting word. Tetelatestai. It is finished in the Greek. It's paid. It's done. It's complete. It's perfect. Little interesting fact about this word. I think, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and everything is connected. And you have to remember that. Every time they would take a lamb 
to be sacrificed. Every time they would take it in there, it had to be inspected. It had to be looked at to make sure that it was pure, without blemish, and the one that was going to be used for the sacrifice. Guess what word they used to approve the lamb? Teletestai. That's the word they used. Is it any coincidence that Jesus would yell those very words? The one pure, true sacrifice has finished the work that he was called to do. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When those who hung around the cross heard those words, they thought it was words of defeat. They thought it was words of defeat. They thought the end has come. It's now over. Victory is ours. We got them. Imagine what happened in the disciples' hearts when that happened. Their dreams were shattered. They thought it was over too. Their hopes were destroyed. And they thought that it was over for us. What are we going to do now? We thought he was going to rebuild the kingdom. We thought he was going to restore the kingdom. We thought he was going to rule and reign forever. We had hoped that he was the one. What's going on? They were all wrong, weren't they? These words coming from the cross that day were not words of defeat, but they were words of victory. The battle had been fought. The battle had been won. The battle was over, and Jesus had been victorious. It is finished. What a glorious battle cry. Settle it in your heart that it is over and it is done. It was a decisive blow to the devil. It was a decisive blow to him when Jesus spoke these words to victory. Take a moment, if you want to, and turn to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about this, 13 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Cross of Jesus Christ spoiled the enemy's plan. The cross of Jesus Christ took his weapons away. The requirements of the law were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The requirements of the law no longer counted. Righteousness by faith and faith in Jesus Christ alone. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He died in our place. And now he offers liberty to the captives and opens the doors for freedom. And we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Instead of getting rid of Jesus, Satan's fate was sealed on the cross. Satan thought he had a great victory. Satan thought he had a great victory. I got rid of him. But his power to control and destroy man and to keep him from fellowshipping with God was over. It is finished. He had been defeated. So what does all this have to concern us? What, what do we can glean from this? Well, for one thing, the end of our guilt and sin that accompanied it. It means that the end of the work, the striving for God, we no longer have to strive to get to God. It's not based on what you can do. It's based on what he did. We don't have to strive. We don't have to do these good works that we can collect up and write down. There is no good work that you can do to redeem yourself from your sin and your guilt. The work of redemption is finished. All we can do to be redeemed and restored by the, from the power of sin is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we make it it's so easy, but we make it so hard. Remember when they asked Jesus, what must, must we do to do the works of God? 
Believe upon him who he sent. That's all he said. Believe upon him who he sent. Told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking eternal life? He said, Jesus said to him, if you would be complete to sell all that you have and distribute money to your poor, follow me. The command to sell all that he had, Jesus was saying, forsake all the other gods and follow me. Forsake everything and follow me. What's holding you back? What's in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus completely? The work of redemption is done. It's complete. It's finished. It was done on the cross. As I said, it's so simple a child can do it. In fact, we're supposed to come with childlike faith. We're supposed to come like a child and believe. But it's so complex that even the wisest of men cannot fully comprehend the length, the depth, and the height of God's love that prompted this glorious plan of redemption. The price of redemption of the world is now paid. And anyone who desires to know God and to be restored into his image, there's a way open now, a powerful advantage now. It's available. All the work the Father had given Jesus, he had finished it. It is finished. And when we hear that cry, it should inspire us. That battle cry should inspire us like all battle cries. When you hear, remember the Alamo, you probably think of someplace in Texas, or maybe you think of John Wayne. I don't know. But you think of someplace there. When you hear the words, it is finished, you should think of the cross and what accomplished there, what would happen there. The great victory that was won there and the great defeat that he put on the enemy's head. It should stir up in your heart to want to know him more. To have him more in your life. To become more like him. You want to serve him gladly. And you want to ever be thankful for what he did. We're no longer under the power and the curse of sin. The power that once ruled our lives and may I add broke our lives in two. Power that made us failures. Apostle Paul says sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore. The day of bondage of sin is gone. It's finished. It's over. Jesus of triumph and he finished. And the barriers, all those barriers that kept you from God, guess what? They're not there anymore. They're not there anymore. There are no barriers between you and him. Why? Because in Matthew's gospel, it says that at this very time when Jesus yelled, it is finished, the veil in the temple was rent. Means it was ripped in two from top to bottom. This wasn't some sheer flimsy little curtain. Some people think this thing might have been as thick as 36 inches. This was a master woven thing. And it kept the Holy of Holies separate from the holy place and the rest of the temple. And the priest could go and he go in there once a year. And he had to have blood on him when he went in there because he had to have a sacrifice for himself first. And he had to go in there. And he met with God between the cherubim on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But when that veil was torn, it symbolizes access. We now have access to God. You are a We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.